Welcome in. It is the BCJ Podcast presented by the Holy Grail Banks here on BearcatJournal.com. Dave Simone is in the house. He is making bottles for daycare tomorrow. Not for himself, but for the little one. Hell yeah. We have a new logo that has incorporated. We do. We do. That has incorporated our title sponsor, the Holy Grail. Check that out. Check out the Holy Grail at the banks. We will have some dates here in the very near future for our first set of basketball watch parties down on the river at the Holy Grail Banks. Once again, special thanks to them. They are the first company to take the leap from sponsor to title sponsor. And that's very important to all of us. I mean, we're t- we're 2 and 0 since they got on board. I think we should start charging more. <laughs> uh, it is, Dave, a wonderful start. To 2020 for the Cincinnati it Bearcats. It is. They dismantle UConn last night, 67 to 51 on New Year's Day, to open AAC conference play in a game that honestly, that score doesn't even represent how bad Cincinnati dominated that game from start to finish. And no, then, and then this afternoon and evening. They go to Birmingham on the football side. And Luke Fickle's squad wipes the floor with Boston College. 38-6 is your final. Desmond Ritter with three touchdowns rushing, one touchdown passing on a beautiful back shoulder throw to Malik Mudge. Mudge. I, Moj. I'm never going to get that right because Sheck Mudge told me that his <laughs> name was Mudge. It's just... That's never going to work. I was told it was pretty. That's like, that's like if somebody told you their the, 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 their name, S-M-I-T-H, was pronounced Smythe. Well, it is in England. Well, I'm going to call him Smith. <laughs> <laughs> but, David, you couldn't possibly think of a better start to 2020 through the first two days than what the Cincinnati Bearcats have experienced on January 1st and January 2nd. No. I mean, basketball jumps out to a 12-2 to two lead. And after the hour and whatever rain delay, football gets a stop and go, then goes right down the field and takes the 7-0 lead. And it, it was curtains after that. I mean... Like you said, the basketball game wasn't nearly as close as the score indicated. And the football game was really never close outside of the first seven and a half minutes. I, I want to talk about so, something. I, I want to talk about something else first though. Sure. We can, we'll get to those. We want to start podcast. Yeah, we can talk about whatever <laughs> the hell we want to talk about. Um something that, that there was a, a picture posted. And to me, it struck me as maybe the the picture of 2019 for the UC athletic program. And it was something that, uh, I I, I think it was after we did the the podcast the other day. What did we do that? Monday? Uh, uh, 
Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it might have been posted before, but it was either either Monday or Tuesday. A picture of Evan Prater at the podium talking to the media at the Army All-American game. And it, it just it almost was like it was closing the door on 2019 and saying the 2020s going to be a little bit different around here to see that to see a quarterback that's coming to cincinnati that's signed coming to cincinnati die hard bearcat through and through standing at the podium with that jersey on and a smile on his face and the way he has performed through practices so far and the way he has talked about you know, I'm out here with all these guys from Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama and whatever, and I'm different from them. I'm going to Cincinnati, and I, I'm damn proud of it. Like, that for me, we'll see how he plays in the game. I'm, I, I have no doubt he's going to do fine. But no matter what happens in the game, one, he has carried himself like a high-level kid this week. He has performed in the practices like a high-level kid this week. And it is something... I know you've been a UC football fan your entire life. It is something I never, ever thought I would see. And to see it was just kind of like, you had to kind of take a step back and look at it and go, this is actually real. Like, this is really happening right now. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked the last couple of years about how, especially in football, that they're just, they're bringing in a different guy. <laughs> And that's a you know blanket term, but pe- people know what we mean when look, when we say that. Go look but, at what happened today, and you see it. But then, but then, you know, when you really step back and think, like, there, Evan is the epitome of a different guy for UC because even in the past, there's been plenty of very, very, very good players in Cincinnati. And they've, you know, had varying levels of interest in UC, but no one even really remotely close to his level has given it more than just a passing thought to stay and play for UC. And then for him to do that, I mean, there's two all-star games, so that's probably like around 100 players total. And, you know, you have a guy coming to UC that's going to be playing in one on Saturday. So it doesn't get much more different than that for a program like Cincinnati. And a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. And there's no, like, there's no goofy inside situation like Ed Oliver going to Houston yeah. Um, like he straight up just wanted to come to UC. No, granted, his brother's on the team, but that happens all the time. I mean, that's not like hiring your high school coach. Well, I mean, Ed um, Oliver went to Houston because his brother was on the team, but that his brother was already but, on the team, not like transfer. You know, yeah, it, they, it's a, a they also hired his high school coach too. Yes. Well, they they went every way possible to make sure that. That, that they got at Oliver, which, I mean, they should have. Right. He was awesome. Sure, of course. Why not? But 
But yeah, I, I don't mean, know, man. Those it are the just, only two guys. It just hit me different. Like seeing that, it just it just hit me different. Like, man, we really are. We're playing. We're playing. The, the, Luke Fickle's playing the game with the big boys now. Well, and it's and, not talking about it. It's being about it. And as much as we're hyped and excited about this class with Evan and Jaheim and all those other guys, these last two seasons are really pointing towards the 2021 class as being where you truly cash in on having two really successful seasons in a row. Well, there's another Evan Prater situation in 2021. And don't think for one second that all these guys, whether it's Jarrell, whether it's you know Malik, Evan, Jaheem, that they're not going to be like nonstop. You know, why oh. why wouldn't you come here? Right. Corey Kiner is going to feel the heat from the local guys. There is no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So I don't know, man. I, I mean, I, maybe it was just, I mean, I'm sure it's not just me, but just seeing that picture and just like, you know, we've been doing this a long time now. That's not something before Luke Fickle got here that was ever even in play. No. Part of me, self, part of me selfishly and for Twitter purposes wishes he would have announced at the Army Bowl. Yeah. But, Just, but, and, but and if you, totally un, and, and played it off as if he was undecided. Yeah, but at that point, if you're UC, you don't, uh, you don't play around with not having him committed and signed for that long. Oh, no. <laughs> the thing that a lot of these kids, are, a lot of these kids are doing now is, is they're signing in December, but then keep making the schools keep it quiet until they announce. I know. But, yeah, it was – before we got to everything, I just wanted to get to that because, for me, that was just something that – it just jumped out to me when I saw that picture. It just – like, I had a had a reaction to it. You know what I mean? Like, this this isn't <laughs> – this isn't how it's supposed to, 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 to happen for Cincinnati. And especially now, outside of the power structure – outside of of everything and they still they still found a way to make it happen and then kudos to evan for going there and holding up his end of the bargain so far because everything that i've listened to and watched and read seems like he is absolutely you know fitting in with the other five quarterbacks that are there yeah I don't think he's going to get – I joked around a little bit on Twitter when the week started. I don't think he's going to get a five-star bump, but I I would be pretty surprised if he didn't get some level of a bump. Yeah. I think there's definitely some level of bump in store. And how could there not be, right? Right. I mean, if you're – you know – if, from what we've read, if you're splitting hairs on who the 
third, second, third, and fourth best quarterback there is on on each of the days, and the top three guys are all top fifty guys. Well, then the fourth guy should be somewhere around there. You would absolutely think. I mean, he, you know, he's probably gonna. It would take a hell of a jump to get him into the top fifty. But I, I feel pretty confident in thinking there's a really good chance he finds his way into the top 100, right? He's already. I mean, composite, I mean, you're talking just 24-7, he's like 225, but composite, he's like 104. Yeah, and I, a jump by 24-7 yeah. is going gonna, is gonna to put yeah. him firmly in that spot in the composite. I would think he's going to get somewhere into the, you know, he's got to move up something somewhere pretty substantial in the twenty four seven rankings. If you're if you're playing good in that type of a setting, you know, there's a hundred guys that aren't even invited to those games. Right. So, hats off to to Evan, and hats off to Fickle and Gino and and Dez and everybody that put in major work on making the Evan Prater reality uh, something that we get to talk about because, I don't know, it just feels different. It just it, it just feels like something that, you know, like it's the holidays. It's like, you know, that you had that Christmas gift that you just didn't think you were actually going to get. Right. And then you open your last present prepared for you know that that that's not gonna happen for me and bang there it is evan prater's on your doorstep so which one do you want to do first you want to do yukon and get that out of the way or you want to do the bowl game yeah let's just start in in chronological order just do basketball and then um all right football i mean i don't think we have a a crap ton to talk about here if we're if, no, I, mean, I, I think the biggest thing that I, I wanted to kind of just bring up is that, you know, even though they did lose to Iowa, the last three games have definitely been encouraging just in the sense of it seems like... Like they turned a corner. Like they, yeah, like they're pr- pretty much all on the same page. Like they're starting to figure things out on both ends. Um just yeah, just in general that they have kind of taken that next step that we you know obviously wish had happened sooner and and maybe you know not lost to Bowling Green and Colgate, but you know the way the offense functioned, especially in the first half, outside of or there was a time in the first half and second half that I was a little you know, a little bit questioning the lineup we had in, and that was when we went like two for 11 in the first half. I just didn't think like we had anyone that could get their own shot. But um, the offense, right off the bat, with the, with the uh, you know, dump down to vote for the dunk, functioned at a super high level. Jaron didn't even take his first shot until about 10 minutes in. Right. And... The defense is obviously good. I mean, I think, what, 17 points, 11 turnovers. But, my God, Tennessee. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's like, 
is that who we're going to be now? Now, my next question is just, can you take that on the road against a team that you should absolutely beat and continue the momentum? Because like we've kind of talked about all year so far is these steps don't mean anything if you turn around and drop a game you shouldn't lose. Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not to the point of, at, at this point, there's anything that they should or shouldn't lose because I'm still not 100% sold that, that they're there yet. The consistent, the consistency, like... Right. The inconsistency leaves open the possibility of going to Tulane and having another poor shooting game and you lose. So that's what I want to see the next step. Like, the next step of the evolution is that we're in sync together and we can go on the road and get a win that we need to get. Yeah. Um, I, I do think the big takeaway is it was on the back of not only Chris Vote, who had 19 points and, um, and I'll, I'll, t- I'll touch on, I was sitting next to a, an international scout uh, during the game and, and got a lot of thoughts from him as we were, as we were watching things which for me is always interesting because they look at the game through a different lens because they're, you know, generally watching the game from my lens, you're looking at team stuff and they're looking at specific, like they came to watch this guy. They came to watch that guy. Um, He was there in in large part to watch both vote and Jay Sirola. Obviously, those guys, and not to say it can't happen, but those guys at seven foot are going to be pretty valuable assets on the, the international market if they make it there. Oh, yeah. Um, but Vote played really well. And then Jaron and Trey Scott were your seniors. They were everything you want. You know, everything that 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 coming into the season, people thought were, you know, going to be the backbone of this team. That part has been inconsistent. And in this game, they were what people expected of them coming into the year. And they dominated UConn start to finish. And if they can continue, especially as you talked about, get that type of consistency on the road, then all of a sudden, and I, I put the stat up last night, it didn't get the reaction I thought it was going to get, but I just, and I know everybody, you know, assumed it was it was really good, but those two guys are 47, now 47 and 8 in American Athletic Conference play. Yeah. And, you know, you have to wonder, as we as we get to this point, do these two guys say, you know what? This is our league. And it's time for us to to get back to where we belong. There have been two regular season titles and two tournament title, titles decided it over the last two years. They've won three of the four. And these two guys have been part of that. So um, I thought that was really the big takeaway from the night was seeing Jaron and seeing Trey be – Jaron and Trey that that everybody wanted to see coming into the year. 
They're both really good. I thought one play kind of signified to me the difference of where UC is and where UConn is, and that was, excuse me, in the first half, uh, Chris McNeil put up a three as the shot clock was running down. Trey just, you know, basically out-muscled. Well, he had great position. Uh, I mean, he beat the guy to the spot flat out. I mean, he just out-toughed him, beat him to the spot, got the offensive rebound, and dunked it. And, like, those are the plays that we're used to seeing. And, you know, we talked about toughness and, you know, and in previous podcasts, and, it, and it's definitely showed up more in the last three games. So, you know, hopefully, we yeah, have the, the at least for last night, the, the break was a, was definitely a help. We talked about would it be a problem having that much time off? It clearly wasn't. They came out, you know, ready to go, guns blazing. So, the next, the next phase in the evolution is just the continuance of it right and the consistency of it um the other thing and it's funny because when i asked john about it it caught him off guard in the post-game press conference i don't know if you watched it or not um Uh, kind of but i was probably like falling asleep (laughs) um you kind of had 13 blocks and it, yeah. and they're a really good shot blocking team, but generally, when you see teams block shots like that, it intimidates the opponent. It did not intimidate Cincinnati at all. And Chris Vogt finished eight of ten from the field. Trey Scott finished five of five from the field. Now, granted, a lot of the block shots, almost all the block shots, were on the guards, but UConn establishing dominance at the rim. They had five blocks in the first half, eight blocks in the second half. It did not change the way Cincinnati approached their offensive strategy at all. And that's that's a team that UC only took nine three-pointers on the game. Well, yeah, that's what – I mean, they had such an emphasis on paint touches and points in the paint and then driving that, yeah, UConn blocked a lot of shots was because UC took a lot of shots at the rim. And UConn is a good shot blocking team, but like you said, it, there I never felt like there was ever a point where UC like had second thoughts of keep bringing it in there. Like they're not going to block them all, and UConn has an advantage inside. I, mean, I, I don't want to spend much time talking about UConn, but that team is a disaster right now. Um, the game plan was obvious when you looked at <laughs> the matchups. Right. And well, you just keep go- keep going in there. And, yeah, they're going to block some of your shots. They got pretty good athletes, too. But for the most part, UC obviously converted more than they didn't. Um, Another really strong performance from Mike Adams-Woods. And it's, it's getting to the point now that's just what you expect from Mike Adams-Woods. Right? Yeah, run the, run the offense. Take and make open shots. I, I I've I've written this a couple times, and I, I think I said it the other night. I'm I'm ready to see his volume go up. I think it should, but 
you know, if Jaron's going to get back into the swing yeah. that he's that he was in the other night, and we expect even more, um, then he might not get just get the opportunities. I just want him, like he did with that corner three, to when the when the opportunity presents itself, that there's no hesitation that he feels like I am as much a part of this offense as anybody, and when it's time for me to shoot, I'm shooting. Right. I think we're getting there. I just, I, I'd like to see him maybe go from three to four shots a game to six or seven shots a game. I'm not talking about him getting 12 shots a game. No, I, I hear you. I, I just do. I think there's an opportunity to find a way to get him six, seven shots a game. I mean, a lot of times Chris McNeil's finding them. <laughs> True. So, I, but I think it's also a, a a mentality with Micah where he's coming in and trying to do the right thing right now and maybe not being as aggressive offensively. And it, look, it's very likely that Brandon's telling him we need to, we need to get you going a little bit more offensively. Um, well, he's also and playing yeah. with the starters the where majority Chris is of playing the time. With the so he's, he's going to be the fourth or fifth option just yeah. in just, out of circumstance. So, I mean, I I don't have a ton on the basketball game other than that was what you were supposed to do. I, that's not what you were supposed to do. That's above and beyond what you were supposed to do. And you never wavered. The game never got in question. UConn tried to turn up the pressure, and it never worked. I mean, they they had a what like what one one eight oh stretch and that cut it from twenty one to stretch twenty one to thirteen or something along those lines, and next thing you know, yeah, UC answered and it was back out to seventeen eighteen points. Um, mm-hmm. They just never there was never a crack in their performance, and 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 that's if that was the case, this team would be sitting. 10 and 3, 10 and 11 and 2 right now. But yeah, in a new situation with seven new teammates, the, the returning guys having to learn you know, what's going on. You know, it's it, it it's it's important for continued progress and we saw continued progress. I, I think that was the big thing. Yeah, I just that's what we needed to see, continued progress and just not making some of the repeated mistakes that we kind of saw through December, the early part of December. You right. Know, so, yeah, just, now it's the consistency element of it. Because they have an opportunity in front of them to to kind of go on a bit of a run and and gain some confidence and, and stack some wins. So, you know, you just got to see if they can, can keep that consistency going. Yep. All right, Dave, let's, uh, let's move to the events of the day. As the Cincinnati Bearcats wipe out Boston college 38 to six in the Birmingham bowl would have been a shutout. If not for a blocked field goal, going for a touchdown and I'm not, I'm not even kidding when I say this. 
I can't remember more than two or three times a defense looked that unbelievably impressive. Uh, and that's including like games against the Brian Kelly games against uh, uh, FCS right. teams where they won 74 to six, like Marcus Freeman's defense. And he, I, I had a feeling and they didn't really show it much uh, before bowl practices got closed over the last couple days before they went to Birmingham. I had a feeling we were going to see that four, four front. And it was awesome in shutting down Boston College. Yeah, I mean, I sent out a couple tweets. Uh, at one point, in the, well into the second half, Dez had 105 yards rushing. Boston College had 102 total yards. At halftime, they had 102 total yards, 70 of which came on two plays. They were in 29 total plays, so on the other 27 offensive plays, they averaged 1.18 yards per play. Um, yeah, I mean, they just, like we had kind of talked about in the preview, they just they had nothing on the outside. And especially with the weather, there was no reason not to, as Brian Wright was doing several times, try to guess the snap count, <laughs> get, it, get in the backfield, sell out against the run, know that, sure, they might, you know, slip a tackle and, and break a long one, but the chances are in your favor to just go extreme heavy run defense. And that's what they did, and it pretty much, I mean, it did. It worked to perfection. Like, they didn't even get to 200 yards, and they got to the 150 in their last, in their last drive of the game. So, or second to last drive of the game. Yeah. I, I mentioned this on Twitter. There's nothing I, I'm, as this has played out over the, especially the past two years, there's nothing I love more than the, the week to week and game to game adjustments and the tinkering that Marcus Freeman does with his defense. And, with we learned well we it was it was known inside the program that that Michael Pitts was going to have so, shoulder surgery um he elected to do that before the bowl game so that he could make sure he was back by spring practice which i think that says a lot about Michael Pitts going into his senior year that he didn't want to miss out on those reps um but we saw them move. We saw a lot of the three-three-five front this year, which we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast. Going to the four-four front, they moved my Jay Sanders back to the jack position, and then Malik Van was the starter at strong side defensive end. But because they had gotten such a good look at Elijah Ponder playing on the outside of that 3-3-5, there was confidence in him to play him at strong side defensive end in the 4-4 front. And we saw him be awesome at that. So now, it's like things keep stacking for Freeman as he tinkers more and moves a guy here, moves a guy there, puts this in motion for this week. Now all of a sudden he's got this knowledge going forward that he can play with a little bit. 
Myjay Sanders, if you remember, started at the jack position. Um, so obviously has the the athleticism and skill to play it. But I just love the weekly mind games that you see Marcus Freeman play with opposing offenses. And it's something, it's what offenses are supposed to do, Dave. You tinker and you move this guy here and then the next week this guy's there and it keeps the defense on its toes. You just don't see it much on defense. It's a, This is our base defense. This is our nickel. This is our dime. You don't see as much of what Marcus Freeman is doing. And to me, it's so much fun to follow. Well, I think, yes, it's incredibly fun to follow. But I think everybody needs a ton of credit for that on two fronts. One, that they're, they've been able to recruit and develop the players to be able to do that, just from a physical standpoint and a roster standpoint, because not a lot of teams absolutely can do that in that regard. And they also clearly have players that are smart enough to handle the changes, because not a lot of teams have that either. You get into a situation where you just, you're a rush defensive end. Got it. I know what to do. Or you're our free safety. Got it. I have these responsibilities, and they don't change. Well, clearly throughout this whole season, there's several players whose responsibilities have changed, whether it's from beginning of the season to the end or from week to week, depending on the opponent. So you have a group as a whole that is smart enough to be able to process all that new information in a short amount of time and then still go out and execute it and then not have a drop-off in production. I mean, that's let's go through it, Dave. We So the initial was the 4-3 base with James Wiggins doubling as a free safety and a slot corner. Right. James Wiggins goes out. They they start the season in that 4-3 base. Um with with Javon Hicks filling in that role. Then they morph into the 335. Then they tinkered some with a four-man front with two linebackers, three corners and two safeties, which is a traditional nickel look. Then they tinkered with single high safety, three corners, three linebackers, four defensive linemen. Um and then against Boston College, you come out in the 4-4. I mean, it just, it almost, and this is crazy talk, I know, but it almost reminds me of New England when you watch in the NFL. From week to week, you never know. And what's going to happen now, Dave, is as they continue to put all of this stuff in their back pocket, as we get staff continuity, as the program continues to grow, now... You can legitimately every week be different and be just as effective. Right. I mean, they're, they're now to the point where they look at the opponent and go, here's what they want to do. Okay, here's our personnel package that's going to stop that. Not trying to put guys in positions hoping that they can stop that. Like, they have personnel groupings to stop a power running team. Then they have a different personnel grouping to, to try to stop 
the Memphis spread, which I think is totally different than the UCF spread. Right. So you have then you have varying forms of I don't know, we'll call them spread defensive personnel groupings. And then you have, you know, your obviously your traditional that you're going to line up and against a more just like a like say like um, I don't know who they play this year that I would categorize it as like a Miami Ohio or a Marshall, which is you know they're all somewhat different than a Houston than a UCF than a Memphis, um, but yeah they're they're now having and this goes back to what we kind of laughed about initially was the whole 1A, 1B thing has now, you know, played itself out to where, okay, yeah, you're 1B, but you're really good in the, against the power run team. If we're going to play a 4-4, you're going to play 75% of the snaps in this game because this is what you're best at, but then the, another guy at your same position is going to play 75% of the snaps against UCF. Right. It's just, it's just like, you know, again, it's kind of talking about being different. It's just stuff that you're not supposed to be able to do. Especially at the college in the G, level. In the G5. Right. You're supposed to be able to have multiple defensive packages based on your opponent. Because you shouldn't have one, you shouldn't have the talent to begin with, much less the talent to completely adapt and adjust everything on the fly. And, right, or the or the depth. So right. where you're in game fourteen and you can still <laughs> You move run a tight end a defense, linebacker and play him. 40 snaps <laughs> and a defense that you haven't run since, since maybe last, last year, year. Right. Right. Yeah. But here's where that becomes viable. You have run quite a bit of four down or four defensive lineman sets all season. You've run quite a bit of four linebacker sets all season. So these guys are used to their roles it's just now switching it to now, okay, all eight of you are going to be on the field at the same time. And we rely enough on our corners and our safeties and believe enough in them that we're just going to put them on islands and dare this quarterback yeah. to beat us. I mean, it just, I don't know, man. Like, that's stuff, that's not even stuff you see Ohio State and Clemson and those guys do. That's literally, like, the only team I can think of that, that, that operates like that is New England. Where every day we or every game week to week, it is a different deal, and to see this defense developing into having that in their back pocket, I mean, and I'm sure next year, when when James comes back, when Wiggins comes back, as long as he's healthy, we are going to see a crap ton of that four three base. Oh, for sure. But. Now they've got like six other defenses that they can use when they want to that's in their back pocket, and they've got guys with experience to do it. Um, man, I got a lot I want to talk about on this game. Let's talk about the uh, the debuts. I think this team might have been significantly better this year if James Hudson played left tackle all year. And, you think? Uh, and uh, 
he didn't he didn't play a ton, but when Brian Cook was in, he put a couple Brian Cook level hits on people from the safety spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I it's hard, like for me, it's harder to track defensively just because you're inclined to follow the ball. Um, but they like him and and Will. One play, I, I think Will just was over. He was over eager, kind of yeah. like crashed inside, and the running back bounced it outside. But for a first, a first go for all these guys. Well, Huber's, Huber's had in, literally like ten practices at linebacker, and he hasn't played linebacker right. since high school. That's what I'm saying. Like, you, you, it wasn't like blatantly obvious. Right. Like, no, if, if if you were watching the UC game with someone that had never watched the UC game, they wouldn't have been like, oh, "Why is number two at linebacker? He right. stinks." Right. <laughs> but James, I mean. His athleticism uh, at, at, at left tackle is something that we just don't see here often. He can well, get, no, especially he, that they, they said on the broadcast that he's he's up to like 315. Yeah. Which he's been that way all year, but he hasn't played. So right. It's not like you saw it in, in live action. Um, but, yeah, I mean. It, and Darius Harper – mauled people at right tackle. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that that was good good to see just because I kind of question not question but was wondering if he was more of the left tackle body type and Hudson was more of the right. So I mean if, if he uh, acquits himself well then you there you go. You're pretty you feel pretty darn comfortable Walking in next year with, you know, probably all, you know, I guess one guard spot might be up for grabs, but I would think Vinny McConnell's got a, got the inside track. I would say McConnell, the and, of, McConnell and Woodside would battle for that for that spot if I had to right, guess. Right guard spot, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you could theoretically go into next year – with, you know, I would call McConnell pretty much a starter. I mean, he started several games. He played a lot. With four out of your five returning offensive line starters and James Hudson. Yeah. That's pretty good. It's a pretty good spot to be, especially when we saw how much better the offense was in 2018 with a really good offensive line. Right. Oh, we forgot to mention Boston College. Their entire offensive line was all ACC between first yeah, team, some second level, team. Whether yeah. it was from first team to honorable mention, their entire offensive line was all ACC, and Cincinnati's defensive line and linebackers kicked their ass. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, I mean that was. Uh, I don't know which one of my favorite terms I would use dog walking seal clubbing tire fire I mean <laughs> that was I mean they were just it was bad bad they got dominated Boston College's offensive line in this game flat out got dominated 
At one point in time, Cincinnati had seven tackles for loss and Boston College had five first downs. That's And it was everybody. It was Ponder. It was Taylor. It was Ethan Tucky. It was a guy we're going to talk about in a minute who I think had the best game of his UC career in Brian Wright. It was it was Perry Young. It, it was across the line. Everybody made life hell on that Boston College offensive line, and it was it was a lot of fun to watch. For being honest, oh well, I think the thing too is, is regardless of AJ Dillon being out, Boston College wasn't going to all of a sudden change yeah. who they were because they they don't have the personnel to do that. The, the guy that replaced him you, was all ACC. And then you – well, then you get a weather situation like that, and you got to think those boys are licking their lips like, we get to run the ball like 50 times. This is going to be great. And they just got whooped. Yeah. Like, talk about demoralizing. Like, if you're an offensive lineman, what's better than a game in the rain when you're a – uh, run heavy team. Allegedly and one of the best just, running rushing teams in the nation, even without AJ. And then to just come out and oh boy, that's good. I mean, I'm not sure that's going to be a good film session whenever they do review it for those <laughs> returning players. Probably not. Maybe we can get maybe Vrabel's son will transfer to UC. Yeah, they talked about that. I, I think it would be kind of weird to have somebody you're that close to to be your coach. Yeah. That's not actually your dad. Um, uh, but, but Dave, where does he play? I know. <laughs> you bring him I here. Now, now, yeah, now I don't know. Where does he play? Um, Brian Wright. Holy crap. He was an just absolute awesome. I mean, animal just today. Awesome. That was... And we, you see it every game. He makes plays like he did today. But it just felt like today, it was nonstop. They they had to have picked up something in Snap count, game yeah. prep. Because we've never seen them jump, try to jump as many snaps as they did. I mean, they'll run up to the line and then stop. And then when it snaps, they'll go or... They'll, they'll drop. But they, I mean, they were trying to jump the snap right over the center. I mean, probably at least five times, wouldn't you say? Yeah. And that's just, that's something you would have had to have probably picked up on a film review. You're not just going to all of a sudden go, all right, this week we're going to, you know, try to guess the snap count. Well, yeah, because you at least have two or three jumps at that point in time. Right, and there there wasn't was there was it was the, they only had two penalties on the whole day. Yeah, they, none of they went. They had they had one. They were lined up in the neutral zone on the one play towards the end, where I'm pretty sure DeBlanco took the ball from the guy. Yeah, he did. And if they didn't, if they didn't have a penalty, that would have been that would have probably been reviewed and been a fumble. Um, um, kind of like Javon, Javon Hicks did. Yeah, Tucky was half a step into the neutral zone. And then I don't even remember what the other penalty was for. I mean, so. 
don't either. So yeah, I mean, even on the t- even on the tackles that he that he missed, Brian forced the play back inside, and someone else cleaned it up for a loss. Or you know, he just that play to I don't know. I was kind of glanced away and then looked up, and all I saw was the ball flying in the opposite direction. Looked like maybe a screen, like an inside screen that he ran and drilled the guy as soon as the the ball got there. Yeah. It's but, yeah, he, he was, was awesome. And awesome, Perry, Perry awesome Young was game. really really good in his final game as well. Like it I think Josiah DeGuara is going to be a huge loss. Chris Ferguson and Morgan James have been rocks on the offensive line the past 2 years after looking like they would never play when they got here. You have to give a massive amount of credit to those two guys. Um but the biggest losses are clearly going to be Brian Wright and Perry Young. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's no, there's no two ways about that. Your hope is that it's twofold. You hope that you've developed their backups to now step in and, and fill those roles like you thought your defensive line could do this year for the guys that, you know, left after last season. And then you also hope that you're so good in the defensive front and the secondary that it kind of at the beginning of the season maybe covers up some things while guys are kind of getting their footing now being counted on to play 60 snaps instead of 20 snaps. Well, and I also think a guy like Will Huber – very much could could step into a similar thing as we saw Brian Wright very early when he made that switch to middle linebacker last year where he wasn't being asked to, you know, he wasn't really dropping in coverage. He wasn't being asked to read things. No, just be, be aggressive an, an at the line ru- of scrimmage. Be aggressive at the line of scrimmage, shed blocks, and stop the run. Yeah. And, and now he has a whole, whole offseason to – concentrate fully on that. Right. And I don't think that the back, the, like the, the, the new guys that are going to be stepping in, it's not for lack of talent. It just goes back to you. We don't know until we see them. Right. Like we don't, we didn't know what the defensive line was going to be until those guys were put into those positions. Now they might all flop unlike the defensive line excelled. We, you just don't know. You think you have good players in white and DeBlanco and Beavers and Ben Fawson and you know but they now need to play and, and prove it. Yeah, and that's I, but they're gonna but they but they have a they got a hell of a defensive line in front of them. And a hell of a secondary make things behind a, them. It's gonna make things a whole lot easier. Look, you're looking next year at your entire defensive line two deep, not just your one deep. Your entire defensive line too deep returning. Plus, you're going to be developing more depth. I, uh, the, the, one of the young guys that really stood out to me in the bowl practices was was Eric Phillips, and he's well. A, then Hawthorne made some plays at yeah. the end of the game today. Yeah, so you got Hawthorne at the jack, Phillips at tackle. Um, so you, you're loaded on the front, and then on the back. Now you've got Sauce as the boundary corner. 
who does he have eyes in the back of his head? That play in the end zone. <laughs> he, he does that all the time. He just knows, like, and I don't know if it's it's just like what an elite cornerback looks like. He has that ability to like maybe it's reading the wide receiver's eyes or their well, hands. Well, you, you do a or... little bit. You, like you have, he's got great spatial awareness because he knows on that route that the guy's in the end zone. He's he's either just going to run out of the end zone or he's, or they're throwing him the ball. Right. So at some point. When, when I'm at the goal line, I should turn around. Well, he didn't turn around. He just knew exactly just when like, to put his hand up. Right. He just kind of threw his arm up. Right. But he knows, like, okay, and definitely guys read eyes because I don't care what anybody says. When the ball's coming to you, your eyes get bigger. Right. You're, you're, concentrate, you're trying to concentrate more. And so absolutely he does that. But, like, he does have – like, I think he's got great – just overall spatial awareness of knowing where he is, where the receiver is, and if the you know if the ball is is coming, can you see it on the sideline all the time with him? Yeah, he knows how to play play the receiver with the sideline, using the sideline to kind of you know force the receiver out without interfering with him. I was texting one with one of my guys in Michigan last night. He had he had texted me, um, Happy New Year. And it was a guy that early in my my career doing this, we met. He had he's kind of gotten out of the business over the past three or four or five years. And it used to be anytime there was a guy from Michigan that UC was in on, like he was the first guy I would contact because he knew. Like he had the scoop. So right. he's, he's gotten out of the business and he's got like four or five kids and he's working a full time job and you know, we kind of drifted. Um so we're texting last night and I was like, dude, you couldn't like you couldn't have called me about sauce. He's like, you didn't ask, bro. I knew I was like, damn it. Come on, man. Because <laughs> I, I as I told him, I, Dave, I've never seen anything like it. The guy started six games. He's a freshman All-American and a first team all-conference player. That's how good he was as a backup in like three, like he didn't even really play the first three or four games. He saw the field a little bit as a rotation guy, but we're talking eight games here in eight games. Right. It was first team all conference and a freshman all American. That's. And none of it looks like a fluke. He looks I mean, like maybe the best corner in program history right now. Well, he was, the second best corner in, in pro football focus yeah. behind a guy that's also a true freshman that will, that I think is one of the best corners I have ever seen in college football and will be a top five draft pick when, when it, in two years when he comes out in Derek Stingley Jr. at LSU. And he was only behind him. That, I mean, I just... I... It's, it's like the Evan Prater thing. I struggle to wrap my brain around it. You just don't see that here. That a guy comes in and makes that much of an impact. And to go from the sixth guy on the depth chart at corner to the number one guy starting in a system that puts the boundary corner on a complete island. 
they play press man 90% of the time. The boundary corner is on a complete island. And he was as good as he was with teams. I mean, it wasn't like they didn't try to test him. Now, I think we get to next year, and guess what? I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of teams even look at Sauce. Not if they're smart. No. Because you're, you're not completing the play. Now, he's going to have to, mentally, he's going to have a big adjustment between now and, and the start of next season. Because he's not the underdog anymore. He's the big dog now. Right. But now you've got him at, at, at boundary, Kobe on the field side. You've got Bush in the slot. You've got Derek Forrest, who's an all-conference safety. Wiggins is back. You add in what we just talked about on the defensive line. You've got Jarrell. Like, even if you take some time to build up your middle linebacker and whatever other linebacker spot is open, there are nine guys on this defense that are really freaking good. Now. And that's not counting any improvements that are made between now and the start of the 2020 season. That's, it goes to something you texted me and we've, I mean, we've talked about this from the start. Last year, they were two years ahead of schedule. This year, they were a year ahead of schedule. Next year is the first year that was supposed to be on schedule. Right. And next year, this defense is disgusting. It, sh- it should be. I mean, all signs point to that, you know. So. All right, let's uh, offensively. Dez is back, I think. I, I thought think. he played really well. His numbers were deceiving. I don't, I don't remember him missing on half of his throws. Um, but you could tell in some of the throws there was just a different zip, so to speak, on the ball than we had seen for the better part of the year. Look. I, I wasn't really cleared to talk about this much during the season. Chase Young messed him up at Ohio State. His left shoulder was not right for a large part of the season. And then his right shoulder gets messed up. So he was never, especially in the passing game, and I, and I know the argument is going to be, well, if he wasn't right, you should have put Ben in, da-da-da. This team was trying to, to win a conference championship. And and at the time, Dez gave them the best chance to do that. Now, when you coupled the right shoulder injury with the left shoulder injury, things got a little bit more dicey, but he was never right all year. You could see quite a few times. Now, I thought on the, the he missed a deep ball to Medeiros. I thought that one needed to, he needed to drive that ball instead of, it looked like he tried to float it down the sideline. Yeah. Um, that was the one mistake I thought that really stood out to me. But other than that, I thought he had a really good game through the air. And on the ground, he was a nightmare for Boston College's defense. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of the – I mean, that's the offense 
that we had hoped to see all year. Yes. You had you had a little bit of everything. I mean, you had him running, you had Warren running, you had Dokes, you had Trey Tucker got involved, uh Rudiris was involved in a in a reverse. I mean they I thought Boston College get, did a good job of uh snuffing out the, the tight end yeah. kind of the screen the play that screen. we had, they had run to Josiah to such success most of the year. They did a good job against that, but I mean, that's the offense that we had thought we would see most of the season. You know, with an offensive line that played, you know, I thought had a pretty good day on the most part. Um, But yeah, so you look to build off of that in the offseason and think we've you know we've talked about it several times i think the next step is just some some more explosion in the passing game and you know the end of the year struggles offensively are well discussed obviously they got shut up by ohio state so they're coming to this game their points per game scoring offense is like 29 points and that was good for I want to say around 67. And I feel like they need to take a jump to get into the top 35 yeah. next year to complement the defense. It doesn't need to be some crazy jump where they're averaging 40-something points a game. But you know what Top what the 35th-ranked offense scored a game this year? 34 points a game. You don't think that offense can, <laughs> can find five, five more points a game next year? Yeah. And you don't think 34 points a game isn't enough to just run rough shot with what the defense has the potential to do? Exactly. That's why I'm saying it doesn't need to be some crazy jump. It just needs to be to the point where you're not needing a Herculean effort by your defense to win games 16 to 10. Right. Because no one scores only 10 points in college football. Oh, I mean, unless you're Boston College. I mean, you might but, get, you might get four points a game with just – Charles McClellan returning next year. Exactly. When I found about found out about that one, I immediately knew that was going to be a problem this year. And now, Ryan Montgomery looks like he's ready to get into the mix a little bit. Yep. I'm excited, Dave. I'm excited. Today, well, yeah. I mean, today put me uh put me over the top on what we what the potential is in in 2020 because we and we've talked we saw what an offensive line with James Hudson looks like at left tackle looked pretty damn good and that was game 1 time and experience and an understanding of working with all those guys only makes it better and now you get Des in year 3 where maybe he's got you know they talked about it a lot on the broadcast today maybe he he put too much too much weight on his own shoulders. Maybe the the staff put too much weight on him in terms of the jump that they expected from him from year one to year two. But I think in year three, I think there becomes a lot more of an understanding. And I think there's going to be a pretty open competition between him and Ben Ben Bryant in the spring and the summer. There should be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, like, I'm not taking anything away from, from Dez, but if I'm Ben, 
I look at the way this season go went, and I go, I can beat him out. And that's not a knock on Des. That's just what my attitude would be if I was Ben. As a competitor, right. Right. I, I would go, well, I can beat him out. I, I'm, I can do that. I can be better than that. Like, And then it's up to Des to go, last year was an anomaly. I didn't play well. I was playing through some injuries. And now I'm going to elevate my game because I know this other guy is good enough to take my spot. Healthy competition and it is like three more wide get me three more wide receivers before (laughs) august hey norman love baby yeah well i mean freshman i know you just never you just never know i know i'm just i i I do think though wide receiver i feel a lot better now than i did maybe even a month ago or a month and a half ago with what we've seen from Malik Moj, Moj, Mudge, Mud, whatever the, sorry Dan, um, and Alec Pierce, I think those guys are yeah. starting to establish themselves on the outside where they're ready to take a jump next year. You get Trey Tucker in the slot. Yep. You get Jay Sean Jackson back in the slot. You get some young guys ready to come in and help. You go get one or two more guys if you can here between now and when camp starts. I think that wide receiver room is finally turning the corner and it's been a corner that hasn't been turned since we saw the graduation of that, the best wide receiver class in UC history. Right. Chris Moore and that entire crew. Yeah. So I think we're in a, I feel better about that now than I did six weeks ago. I think that's pretty safe to say, because I, I do think, Moj really came on at the end of the season and showed he can be a guy on the outside that can be that if if Pierce is the guy that takes the top off the defense, then Moj can be the guy that moves the chains on the outside. Would, would you would you agree with that? I do. I would still like them. I know if, you always if, want if more. Perfect. No, I'm just saying. I. I want. I would like to see a transfer that can play immediately. That is a that is a true number one. I just I I see both of those guys as really good twos, and I want to. I'm hopeful that maybe they can get someone to go. Hey, look, we're coming off two 11 win seasons in a row. We got all these guys coming back. Schedule sets up pretty well. We just need someone to come in and be that dominant number one receiver and open things up for everybody else. Oh my God, Tennessee just recovered an onside kick. <laughs> I'm going to make me watch this whole stupid game. For those um, that don't know, Dave is a Tennessee alum. Yeah. Big time. So, that's like, that's, I think that kind of missing piece is, yeah, all those other guys I think are, are good and solid and I'm, I'm expecting more from them, but I think they can grow also if there's that number one type guy, because I don't think any of them are really are that guy, but they can be really good in, in that role. If someone else comes in to kind of take that spot. Yeah. I, I, I still think Pierce can develop into that guy. I think we saw a huge jump from him this year. I think we can see another, 
huge jump from him next year. So, I, you know, I get where you're coming from. I, I just think they might, they might have the guy in-house. They might. Because I they do think we saw a ton of, might. I think we saw a ton of progression from him and his ability to run more than a go-route. Which that was what oh, he could sure. run prior to this year. We saw him running stick routes. We saw him going over the middle. We saw him running digs. We saw him running, you know, a lot of different stuff inside 15 yards as opposed to his freshman year where all we saw was his ability to, you know, try to run past somebody. So I, I, it, it, I agree with you. They need a number one. I'm hopeful that they have that number one to develop. And I, I think they found their number two for next year. And Moj. Mm-hmm. I think they're good in the slot. They're going to be fine at tight end. I think Bruno's going to have a really good senior year. I think Josh Wiley and, and Leonard Taylor really start to come on now. That was just a, a, it's a tough spot when you have a guy that's as good as Josiah DeGuara at everything. Yeah, it makes it really hard for the other guys to get, to get on the field. Well, how many run-oriented teams that throw their tight end are also going to throw to their second and third tight end. Right. Like there's just not, there's just not opportunities there in this offense when you have this style and a really good number one tight end. A number one tight end that it was really hard to take off the field at all. Right. I mean, they're just, I, that was I, like, you know, people are, you got to get this guy on the field. You got to get that guy on the field. Well, then you have to take someone off the field to do that. Right. And if they would have done that, everyone would have said, why isn't Josiah DeGuara on the field more? <laughs> right? Pretty much. It's like, you know, if you want to throw the ball more, that means Mike Warren and Dez get less carries. So, which doesn't make what sense. What would you rather have? Right. <laughs> oh, is there anything else about that game that stuck out to you? I, I, I've rambled on it about a lot. I had a lot of a, a lot of thoughts coming out of that one because. Um, well, and, and let the PC's not good. There, well, that's what I was going to say. There, this is a way back memory, but their skill position guys reminded me of when we. Beat the other living crap out of Purdue yeah. in the hundred degree weather game. Like, I could not have been less impressed with their skill guys. And maybe it's the quarterback is just terrible. So, you know, what 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 are they supposed to do? But like, I I don't know. I mean, it's just I got the I got the uh, the GC score exactly right. I certainly didn't see Boston College's offense being that terrible. Um, if you would have combined the two of us and then subtracted seven points, <laughs> you'd have been right <laughs> yeah. up Because I, 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 I had a pretty good read, man. I thought Freeman was going to dominate them with, with his defensive scheme, and he absolutely did. It should have been a shutout. It was. That was a, that was a mercy. They let them block that field goal. <laughs> I had I, I had a source tell me that they felt bad and 
they Olayed the block on purpose. Oh, by the way, how about the uh, the controversy for the game? We didn't touch on yeah. that. <laughs> I've literally had like seven people tell me, and seven people that know what's going on, that Boston College tried to walk away during the rain delay. Of course they did. There you go, Dave. Celebrate, Dave. Give a let's go. Yeah. Come on. Woo. We might win the Tax Slayer Gator Bowl sweep. I mean, given um, where Tennessee basketball or football has been recently, the Gator Bowl, that's pretty good. Now Oh, oh well after the after the way they started 0 and two on the year, I mean sure, this is fantastic. But now, over it Indiana should be, should, eh. it should be it should be tied though. Indiana's kicker stoinked one on an extra point. Yeah, this kick hasn't gone through yet either though. Oh no, he's very good. Oh, yeah, he's not going to miss this. Yeah, he um, didn't jinx him. <laughs> but uh, let's see if Peyton Ramsey can lead him lead him to a comeback win here. <laughs> I I one thousand percent believe Boston College tried to get on the Boston head out. Of course they did, and of course they would say they didn't. I mean, like, why would why would Justin have put that out there? Look, and why would Luke come in after the game? about, I don't know what was going on, but I know we were going to play the game no matter if we had to play till midnight. Yeah. It wasn't like the weather delay was four hours. It was an hour and a half. 90 minutes. So, it's not like they just kept sitting sitting there and sitting there, and finally one of them was like, can we just call this? Like, it's not going to stop. And the radar <laughs> showed it was going to stop. The worst case scenario I saw for the lightning to move out, the rain was going to continue. But but yeah, you it was the, you can play football in the rain, that's allowed. The lightning was going to move out at the latest at 5:30. That's not and it wasn't coming back until after 10. You can play a football game in that window. And Usually. Whoever, whoever that PR guy was flat out lied. Of course, they didn't want that. Once it came out that that was a possibility, silence basically would have Confirmed, signaled yeah. that, yeah. So you had to say, you had to lie. I mean, I don't blame you for saying that. Of well, course and of course the players wanted to play. Did they really, though? Because it didn't seem like it. Um, I think they did until they and, came back out and got their butt kicked in the first... <laughs> 10 minutes of coming back out. I mean, I, I think, I think their, um, their desire to play that game ended when there was the fumble. Brian Wright recovered. Jesus Christ. Did they try an onside kick? What just happened? Who? No, they just, Indiana oh. just completed like a 40 yard pass. Oh, I, my head was turned after the touchdown. I hadn't looked since. I just saw a guy pointing down the other way. Well, I mean, they're almost yeah. in field goal range already. That's bad news for you. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. No, yeah, whatever. But the minute, basketball school now anyway. the minute they got that fumble recovery, and then they jumped off sides, Dez takes it in from 14 yards. It was 17 nothing. From then on, BC was checked out. There was no doubt about that. Oh, yeah. 
I mean, they they ran <laughs> in the third quarter. They ran like goal line offense from their own twenty five yard line. Yeah, because they could. Oh yeah, we're just gonna we're just gonna bring in some extra tackles and tight ends and 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 make you think that we're not gonna run the ball right up the middle. Like, well, oh, that was the only oh, chance they had to run the ball. They couldn't gain a yard. Not one. Well, they certainly weren't going to gain any doing that. I didn't <laughs> spread it out and tried to get pass interferences or circus catches. Like, they, they certainly weren't going to drive down the field. <laughs> and that, my friends, there you go, Dave. Big sack. That, Ooh. my friends, is why Luke Fickle was not interested in the Boston College job. Oh, my God. <laughs> the fact that anyone even speculated that for more than the time it's to, to well, I don't, those words to come out of your mouth. I know, but I don't blame them because that's how those things work. Like, if you're of a reporter, course I don't blame them. Why wouldn't you? If you hear Luke you Fickle is the number one name on the list, you report Luke Fickle's the number one name on the list. It was just that there was zero percent zero percent chance Luke Fickle was going there. Well, that's like we always joke about. Rihanna's the number one name on my list. I, I still go Marissa. I have as, I have as good of a shot with her as they had with Luke. What was that? Uh, I okay. I, I'll let you watch the end of this game. Oh, I don't care. We're a basketball school now, anyway. <laughs> He's Dave Simone. I'm Chad Brendel. Thanks for tuning in. It is the alcohol aided. Did you did you get to have no, some drinks or no? I'm I'm completely sober. That shows you how bad I am. <laughs> I'm on I'm on beer four, so I at least participated, Dave. That wraps it up. We'll see you next week. It is the BCJ podcast presented by the Holy Grail. Brand new logo and everything. Go give the Holy Grail your money because they love the Bearcats and you love the Bearcats. We'll see you next time here on the BCJ podcast on BearcatJournal.com.